0: Hey there. Uh, By some twisted turn of unfortunate events, you have landed here on episode eight of A Thompson and Other Disappointments. The world and tech are changing. And with things like virtual reality and Elon Musk's brain chips, uh, the way that we get information into our brains is maturing. So in a world without traditional screens... I thought it might be interesting to ask someone with a cleverer mind than mine how people are going to consume information in this new world. So who better to explain how users are going to experience things than the head of user experience at future workshops in London? So the preceding hour was a fun time. We talked about everything from serendipity to imposter syndrome to why I should wear a nappy. Um, So please give a like, a share, a comment for this week's guest, the inspiring and wonderful Jenny Grimblow. Jenny,
1: how's it going? Hi, Adrian. Hi. It's going super great. Good. I'm so excited to have had the opportunity to dress up and brush my hair for someone else besides myself.
0: It's something um, of no- a novelty these days, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I just realized I live with my husband too, and somehow that didn't seem to be enough of a motivation.
0: Oh. So
1: okay. he's well, alright.
0: Yeah. And the background there is looking pretty snazzy. Um, Thank you. We've we've kind of touched on this a minute ago, just uh Uh, first chatting that it kind of looks a little bit dystopian if i'm honest
1: yeah i mean it it's no room padded with um aluminium foil or anything but it's just (laughs) (laughs) it's just one of the skype options that seem to have um spoken to me the most um in terms of the, the the warmth of the color scheme of my own lighting situation. Yeah. So as a designer, you you get really annoyed with most wallpapers because your face ends up being yellower or bluer than the background, and yeah, you're just never happy.
0: Yeah. Let's let's talk a bit about your like your background and stuff. Um. So we you and I kind of got chatting on Twitter, and I noticed that you were uh, deep in the UX game. And I work in yeah. web development and I thought I've never really spoken to anyone at length about UX. And some of the people that listen to this podcast are going to be like, I don't even know what the fuck UX is. Yeah. So, um, let's start with the beginnings of your career, um, and, and then we can kind of go a little bit deeper into UX and then maybe we'll touch on what the future of UX looks like. So um, let's start like right back at the beginning. So um, UX as like as a discipline, as an industry, I suppose, has not actually been around that long. So when you were at school and they asked you what you wanted to be when you grow up, what did you say?
1: Yeah, I definitely didn't say I wanted to be a UX designer. I knew I wanted to be a designer pretty early on. Mm. Um basically from around 12 um i was really into and still am into puppies and photos of puppies however back then i was also really interested in the band nsync are you aware of them
0: uh am i i mean right behind all of this foil here just poster after poster
1: all right well um who's your favorite member
0: uh... <laughs> <laughs> exactly it's, it's too easy to say two blanks, isn't it? so uh, back then
1: yeah. um, I was living in Israel where my family still is and I was really interested in puppies that in sync and I for some odd reason I mean I guess we, we got the computer in the house you know in the corner that connected to the internet with Loud noises, and I was allowed an hour on it a day. Yeah. Uh, no, not a day, a week. Gosh, an hour a day would have been a dream. A week. And, uh, yeah. And I asked my dad, you know, there's all these websites. Mm. I want to make a website about dogs and nsync,
0: cool. as you do. Mm. So, niche market.
1: Absolutely. So, my dad said to me, and, uh, you know, this is kind of the relationship that we have and one that I hope to have with my children. He said to me, do you know what? I I know fuck all about websites, but let's learn together.
0: Fair. Yeah, that's pretty Yeah, pretty solid fathering there.
1: Yeah. So every Friday, we would sit down together and we would look up. I don't even know if we Googled it. I don't know that there was Google back then.
0: Like Lycos Who knows? or something. Yahoo.
1: Something. Uh, we'd look up. Um, how to build websites. And we'd look up HTML and CSS wasn't even, I think we just used tables. Um, And I'd sit in Photoshop and make a whole page, like the whole entire page and cut it up and chuck it into a table. And we learned to code it from scratch um, together. Wow. Which as a child, you can imagine... There's just no instant gratification moment in learning HTML from scratch. But eventually, we did get a page up. I think we used something like GeoCities or something like that. And it just felt so magical. It's like, I can't believe I decide what to write on this thing and and how it should look. And little by little, I started getting into um, these online communities where, because as a child, you can't afford hosting. Yeah. Obviously, so th- I remember there were these online communities that would allow you to use their extra hosting, and they would give you a subdomain on their hosting account. And you had to get in, you had to apply. So I got into one called, I think it was like Pixel Effects, and one of the requirements was that you change your web page layout every week or every month it had to be different. Box. Yeah, it had to be a different theme. So it was like a. Serious business, yeah, but I felt so cool, you know, just knowing that you can do something like that, and of course you want to get better, so you start researching
2: yeah
1: and so I'd play around with Photoshop loads, and little by little, um you know, my parents would talk about it and people would come and say, "Oh, can your daughter do like a poster for me or yeah um, my first ever paid thing was my mom's friend wanted to celebrate her anniversary with her husband by having a calendar do you need to yeah
0: can you hear that I thought I had like audio limiting set up where
1: no no it's good so little by little I started getting these little jobs and people would pay me like 20 quid to do a whole entire 12 months of a calendar with their photos and obviously you spend so much time trying to make it great and yeah. Um. I started getting projects really early on. I mean, I think I was about fourteen when I worked with a company designing their trucks, and they are so horrible and so ugly, and they're still on- roaming around the roads of Israel. Really? Yes. Back then, I also didn't know that you had to give instructions to people um, about how to install your designs. So some of them are like backwards, and there's <laughs> just. <laughs> just, you know, most people don't have their portfolios just riding along them sometimes on the road. And I think that's that's a blessing. But long story short, back then, I started noticing then that some websites were better than others. Sure. And I also started noticing that communication was really important because I'd get a lot of projects wrong in terms of what people wanted. Um, getting paid still apparently is not easy for everyone. Yeah. Um, it's a whole other thing. And my dad and I would have all these conversations about how do we prioritize what's on the screen and how do we make sure it's clear and how do we make sure that other people besides me enjoy this puppy Justin Timberlake website. So I think that for me was really the time when I started understanding what are, I would say, the building blocks of user experience. So really thinking about your audience, thinking about making um, content make sense making interactions make sense and I found recently this thing which now we call a wireframe is basically just a black and white sketch where my dad told me you have to plan what you're going to put on this layout first mm. and then you do it in color and I mean I keep telling him he's a UX designer um, just by accident and um, then I went to study other things because I come from a background where we didn't have a whole lot of money growing up. So the options were like, go study something (laughs) that, you know, that's going to make you money that you don't have to worry about all the time. Mm. And instead of listening to my parents, I did a degree in sociology. That terrified them. But it meant that I learned to really study people in a scientific way and understand behavior and understand um, patterns and when I was about to graduate, I had no clue what I wanted to do because I had the opportunity to continue in academia yeah. and I had the opportunity to start looking for work. I kept doing freelance design work in the background so I, I could go and, you know, try out for graphic design jobs. And I was really lucky. I met a chap named John mm-hmm. who had his own company and he came to uni and he was like, I started my own company, asked me questions. And I went up to him and I said, I love to study people. I love to write and I love doing graphic design. I have no clue what I should do. Which one should I pick? And he said, you shouldn't pick any of them. You should be a UX designer.
0: Oh, okay.
1: And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, there's this job where you have to figure out how things should work and you have to um, think about the tone of voice and you have to think about the steps that people have to take and how to make it easy to use. Yeah. And talk to people and do design as well. And I was like, hold on, people will pay me to do this because <laughs> are you sure this isn't just, I thought he was making it up. I mean, it sounded too good to be true. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty cool that and it's, chance.
0: so you kind of landed at a point where all of these things almost by luck or chance all kind of slotted into the right role for you.
1: Absolutely. Amazing. Absolutely luck and chance. I, I think so. Yeah. I think it. it's my career has been all about trying to put yourself out there as much as you can because, you know, there wasn't sort of nowadays we have really cool opportunities for folks. We have the likes of General Assembly and we have the likes of Ironhack that help people train in, in UX and UI and development as well. And, you know, you say UX is new. It's it, It's got a lot of um, founding fathers and mothers and, you know, folks of other genders. Mm. Um from, you know, uh, human-computer interaction. And people have been thinking about how machines should work um, for a long time.
2: Mm.
1: Otherwise, we wouldn't have gone to the moon and such. But I think the really exciting and lucky period for me has been how all of that knowledge and thinking relates to digital.
2: Right. Yeah.
1: And I went to uni a few years after Facebook blew up. So, I mean, it was really early days in terms of social media. I mean... We still had Myspace and High Five and DeviantArt and things like that Bebo and Bebo. Um
0: and Friendster. Never
1: never got into Bebo. Is that a UK thing?
0: It might be, yeah. I think it was it was sold to one of the big it might have been sold to Google actually. Um I forget now. I never had a Bebo account, but I remember okay. it like Bebo and Friendster were around like also yeah. just before Facebook blew up blew up, I think. And then before that, yeah. it was like Friends Reunited. That was it. But mm. anyway, sorry, carry so, on. I mean,
1: No, it, it, nowadays, you know, social media platforms get a lot of flack. And I think for some good reasons, I mean, we're just after a really turbulent election and there's all of that. But for me, it was absolutely magical to be able to graduate from uni in Minnesota, mm. connect with people all over the world who were doing UX and talk to them, go to Israel, find a company in London on Twitter that yeah um, that was willing to interview me do my interview on Skype yeah and then move to London for the job I mean it was incredible for me and I wouldn't have been able to do any of that had it not been for the internet and and social media so yes absolutely I got really lucky but it also took about nine months of just reading every book I could and listening to every podcast that I could about this magical UX world because I didn't know what it would take. There was no degree. There was no, mm. you know, it, all you could do is really find people and chat with them and try to do your best. And I ended up doing uh, a, a project with a competition that Nokia ran that year mm. um, for, it, it was called Apps to Empower Women. Cool. And I did a, a personal project about an app that would help alert you to um, sexual assault and rape content in media. Right. So the idea was that if if you were someone that had experienced that and you wanted to avoid those kind of moments in movies and TV, you could go in the app and right. um, look them up beforehand. And I was really lucky. They thought it was a good idea. It got some kind of recognition and through that project and just posting it online. That's how the company where I work at now, Future Workshops, their mm. CTO saw me on Twitter. Um, so it was just weird. Um, but also I think at that time, I just tried to shove myself into every conversation yeah. that I could in the field, just trying to make connections and figure out how to get in to this um, industry. Yeah, So got super lucky.
0: Amazing, yeah, it's quite a quite a story. Do you think that sort of like those sliding doors moments are are like maybe there's a I'm just trying to think of a, a nice way to kind of phrase this, but I n like I know how I feel about my background and how I got into coding. And I always knee-jerk into this kind of mentality where I'm just like, I'm so lucky that I just met this person, then that person, and then this thing sprung up. And, and then actually yeah. when I examine it, I'm like, well, no, hang on a second, I did work really fucking hard. <laughs> I, like, yeah. it's not all just, you know, oh, yeah, the, the right thing fell in my lap. And it sounds like it's actually very similar to you. Like, you're being very modest when you say, you know, I met this guy and then, you know, this kind of came along. And But, it, I mean, it sounds also like you you really put the work in you read everything about ux you you know you prepped you were networking over twitter and and so on right
1: i mean i think it's a balance i think we always have to be really mindful of balancing imposter syndrome and privilege
2: Mm.
1: i mean i went to a world-class university for free with a scholarship and i got a degree Mm that a lot of people don't have. And I was able to learn English because my parents invested money in me doing tutoring. And my dad had time and desire and the education to help me mm. learn the basics of what I do. So from that perspective, all those things are very lucky things that a lot of people don't have. Yeah. On the other hand, yes, there was an element of effort. I didn't you know, sit at home and take a an nap, and then someone knocked on my door. I had to go and knock on the doors myself and plenty of doors shut my face and said, you don't have enough experience yeah. or, you know, wouldn't even talk to me. So I think it's, I think it's an, a, definitely a case of making your luck work for you. Yeah. And there are a lot of people that have helped me along the way. And I love to think that I can help other people along the way too. And we've been able to do that at future workshops where I work now I'm I mean I can't even believe that I get to say this but I I, I'm now the head of the UX and design department in the company that hired me after I admitted I didn't even have an iPhone and they asked me what my favorite app was (laughs) um and we we've um made the point to hire people who have just retrained or have just changed career. That's great. Yeah. And don't have that experience. They have miles more than I did when I got hired. I always make a joke that I wouldn't have hired myself probably. Yeah. But I think you if if you can be aware of how lucky you have been, then that degree of modesty can help you to pass it on because I think if you get into the trap of thinking, "Oh yeah, absolutely I did this all myself." Yeah. Then you can become a bit of a douchebag, and nobody wants that. So
0: true, true. Yeah, I'm a big fan of of. Uh, like I, speaking of being douchebags, like this sounds it sounds pretentious as fuck when I say this, but I'm a big fan of like that paying it forward thing. So I yeah. feel personally very, very fortunate that my director, when I was at Sky, I was working in projects, and uh, he pulled me into a room and just said, you know, what like what do you actually want to do here? And I said. At that time, I was like, well, you know, I'm editing video for comedians and stuff. Um, Maybe something in digital content doing like I knew my way around the Adobe suite. So I thought, yeah, that would be cool. Like the idea of being a professional video editor actually really like rang my bell. I was like, yeah, that sounds great. Can I do that? And he was like, well, I don't really know anyone in digital content. So um, do you want to be a developer? And I was like, well, maybe and um
1: all right then yeah and I was
0: so I was kind of not railroaded into it but like it was his suggestion he had influence in that area and uh I said you know I'm not very mathematical and I was what was I then 34 35 um so also in that kind of retraining category and I was thinking like you know I like developers are like my brother like he's super geeky like he's (laughs) he like he he was the archetypal kind of geek guy growing up like he was into star trek and Battlestar galactica and he wore like a you mentioned nokia earlier he had like a nokia mobile phone like hooked over his belt
1: yeah i did too right dude i met my first boyfriend in irc chat i don't know you're barking up the wrong tree here. i have
0: no idea what that is well there you go <laughs> is that something that my brother IRC would know chat or? fans
1: get in touch on twitter adrian needs to Please, find out about
0: educate this. me <laughs> um but yeah so i i just assumed that like that's what programmers look like is, is my brother. Right. Uh, so, uh, anyway, then this director was like, ah, you know, just have a chat with this engineer, have a coffee. He'll talk you through like what web development is. And, uh, you know, if you don't want to do it, you don't have to do it, but just, just have a chat with him. I was like, okay. Yeah. So, uh, it just kind of snowballed from there really. And, um, and I now think, uh, what am I five years on, six years on from that? Um, I'm like, you know, that was super fortunate and it's really great that he saw something where he thought this guy could do more than just, yeah. you know, timesheet planning and yeah. swim lane reports and stuff. And so now I'm yeah. like, look, if somebody wants to learn how to do what I do, then Thursday night, 7.30, like we jump on Skype, uh, we go through what we did last week, We um then they spend like the rest of the week pushing code and then I check it again the next Thursday and yeah um, you know any any kind of opportunity that i have to put someone on a similar trajectory as i've been able to to benefit from cuz like from yeah. from my perspective i'm and i'm sure like a lot of the you know career movers that you interview I feel like it's changed my life. I'm like, I wish I'd done it like 10 years earlier, 12 years earlier.
1: Absolutely. But see, for him to have noticed you, Mm. this is what I really want to pay attention to. I went to this really amazing lecture on happiness Mm. a few years back, and they were talking about um, predictors of happiness and things that give us true, deep happiness in life.
2: Mm.
1: And they were saying that the number one thing is doing things for other people acts of service mm. but they had a really strong caveat which is that you only benefit from them yourself and they're truly meaningful if they cause you some pain if they cause you if it's if it's effort so if you do stuff that's kind of like oh i'm already here yeah whatever doesn't cost me anything mm. that's not really what service to someone is, right. you have to go out of your way a little bit. And I think this is what I've learned is the hardest part of, of being in a position where you can do things for people is actually showing up and doing it even when you don't want to, mm. or when you can't, or you feel horrible that day or something happened at home, you have to show up. It's not enough to just hire someone and say, you're so lucky I've given you this opportunity. <laughs> yeah. Now just sink or swim you have to really make time. I mean, as a parent, you know, this showing up is 90%, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah, there is that. And, so, um, and I often like, I mean, I assume that actually the reason that he gave me that opportunity was like one of two things. Like there's, there's this sort of like faint faded third possibility, which is he saw something in me that he wanted to encourage and see it flourish but i that the other two two. number (laughs) one is that i was such a god awful fucking project analyst that he was fed up of me making mistakes and costing him money like tens of thousands of pounds uh and he was like we've got to get this guy out of here um
1: what's the other one um
0: and the other one was wait hold on
1: oh i've got me having a brain fart yeah
0: memory blank hold on it
1: were they both negative yes yeah Cool but it's like the
0: sort of <laughs> cool. Um it's like the sort of imposter syndrome thing where it's like your oh, go to And thing. it's a
1: service to you and to him. Yeah. I mean if I were him and I heard this, I'd be livid. I'd be like, fuck <laughs> you. Like, <laughs> I was a great mentor. But it's like
0: uh, wait, no, well oh, it just came back to my head and it's fucked off again. Wait.
1: Should I guess? You were really smelly.
0: No. Oh no no, no? wait. Uh, I mean that's a great <laughs> guess. I probably was. Um, but no, I, I wondered if maybe it was something to do with his, um, his like targets and goals. I mean, you're head of UX, you're probably targeted on like, you know, I don't know, diversity, hires, promotions and that sort of stuff. Um, you know, maybe he was targeted and there was some sort of objective that he has to demonstrate that he has helped progress someone or, you know, it's like a nice story to tell in his annual appraisal to go, well, look, this guy,
1: you're so cynical, you're hurting my heart, but. You're hurting my heart. Do I can I defend my targets as well? Because you just like <laughs> shadow all over my targets. Yes, I have to hire uh, one person who don't look like me per year. Yeah. No. Um. I we're we're not that big a company. We're just about forty people, and I work really closely with our CEO. Um, on on paper, I should say he sets my targets. Right. Let's go with that.
2: Yeah.
1: I think targets are are. Uh, maybe uh, definitely a word that I would expect to hear from from a place like sky yes it's important for us to have these things but I think ultimately what I found and I found this from my own experience but also doing um, qualitative interviews with folks who work in other organizations like banks and so on there's only so much that your external targets are going to do to motivate you to behave every single day. I think people follow the actions that speak to their own values. Mm. And I don't know the person who who helped you have a magical career transition. Yeah. But in our company, we say, always assume the best intentions. And that's what I'm going to choose to do. I'm going to choose to believe that you were wonderful in some capacity and that he truly wanted to lend a hand yeah
0: i mean uh, it's, i'm not saying this to be disrespectful to him I'm, I'm eternally grateful to him for giving me the opportunity it's just it's that sort of imposter syndrome thing where you just think like there's got like there's got to be some reason why he uh, Okay, but
1: let's let's turn it on its head in a way that maybe will speak to your personality and i've just met you but i'm just gonna go and assume that this could work let's turn this on its head all right have you not worked with just a like a mind-blowing amount of incompetent people yeah right so statistically speaking considering you're doing well now yeah there's a realistic possibility that you didn't suck at what you did that much
0: possibly yeah and it's i i think it's also a case of like when you make a mistake at work you feel like the world is ending, like you're the biggest moron yeah. on the planet, and everyone knows you've been figured out. That yeah. you are, fuck, you're making everyone's life harder. Why don't you just fuck off? But yeah. like that's honestly That's how it's so visceral. Um, but to everyone else, it's like, it's like, yeah, well, it's fine. Just you know. Everyone else is
1: like, I don't know what mistake you made because I was busy berating myself. And by the way, this thing that you're talking about is super, super British too. Like my husband's British. You can hear from my accent, I wasn't born here. I have a passport now, so I have to say please and thank you and stand in a queue. But my husband feels like he's imposing on everyone all the time. Like we're walking down the street and he'll move me and he'll be like, let's go to the side of the the payment because I can see behind us the faint shadow of someone that may come up and needs space to walk to your, to the right of you. Yeah. And I'm like um all right. So I think I think imposter syndrome is definitely um an element of what we do, but I think here in this culture specifically too, there's an apologetic sort of like I shouldn't even exist mentality. Yeah, yeah. around a lot of things and that that compounds the imposter imposter syndrome even more.
0: Yeah. I've heard I used to do a lot of comedy and uh, I remember there was a a stand up and she said that when she first moved to the UK, the, the thing she was struck by was how often Brits apologize.
1: Oh my God. She was like, yes. it's
0: constant. It's never ending. You're always so sorry. Everything. It's like, Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. But, yeah. and it's, I, I don't know why it sort of stuck with me. I suppose. Cause I've never noticed it. Cause I am British. But is that, was that your kind of take on it as well? You were like, everyone here is so sorry. Oh my
1: God. So in our, I don't know if you've met a lot of Israelis, but. A few. We're like the the cardinal opposite of Brits when it comes to manners. So much so that uh, when we were getting married in Israel, one of our friends was coming over and had bought a book about the Israeli culture. And the book said, please be mindful that Israeli people are extremely rude. Now, (laughs) It's not true, right? I mean, rude is a very subjective term. But from the perspective of a British person, we ask personal questions. We talk over you. We don't say please thank you or apologize. We put stuff in your plate. Yeah. I mean, the list goes on. So imagine putting Dan, my husband and me in the same room and I go, pass me the remote. Yeah. And he goes, excuse me. And I go. What And he's like, P- you should say please. And I go, you don't work in a bank. I don't have to say please to you or my <laughs> husband.
0: <laughs> so hearing this stuff and makes so, me think, man, I was born in the wrong fucking country. I should- <laughs>
1: uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's so it's so different that the first time we went back to Israel um, for him to visit, we were on the train and somebody overheard us speaking English. So they turned around to him and they were like, hello, where are you from? Oh, Britain, it's so exciting. Uh, you like Israel? Where are you going? It's your wife and her family. And it's like, oh, my God. And just the whole time. And then we, we got off the train, went to get ice cream. And people are like, oh, is this your first time? What? Oh, what ice cream do you like? Where are you from? What town? Where?" It's just like you get to know people so fast. Yeah. And it's just not done here. I mean, I recently made the decision. This is how I knew I was truly deserving of my passport. I had the decision to go on a lift Mm. knowing that there would be another person there Mm -hmm. and I let it go and I waited so I could be on the lift by myself. God forbid for me to make eye contact or say hello to someone. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So it just, it's just, it's completely opposite. And we used to have this conversation where I would say, stop, he'd say, sorry, and I'd say, stop saying sorry. And he'd say, sorry, I said sorry. It was literally like yeah. a never-ending cycle. It's funny though,
0: isn't it? Because it's like, yeah. it's sort of a bit paradoxical in the way that we're always so sorry, endlessly apologising, and, you know, we keep things bottled up, we like to be polite, etc. And yet, also, I've read a Lonely Planet guide that was, I think it was... An Aussie housemate, or it might have been a Kiwi. Someone was coming over with it, and it, the page in London, or the page about London, said specifically, "Don't be offended by the customer service. Uh, that's just the culture there." <laughs> I was like, "Is what? it like, like maybe it was written by an American? I don't know because customer service in the US is like,
1: you know, what that could be. Customer service in the US. They should go to Russia.
0: Is it my is mom? It bad or good? <laughs> my
1: mom wanted to try a." Liquid. And they were like, what are you doing? You have to buy that. Get out of here. (laughs) No. Yeah, definitely. I think I read that um, customer service, uh, as we call it, good customer service. So American customer service comes from the perception that society is stratified and some people are below you and they have to serve you. So you are in a superior position when you're the customer. So they have to change their demeanor and they have to take it when you say something they don't like and all of that. And that's what some cultures call good customer service. Whereas in other countries, like Russia, I assume, because of the background of communism, I noticed this in the Netherlands. People treat you like peers. They're not there to serve you. They just happen to be working. Yeah,
0: it's like a sort of partnership, like client-supplier kind of thing. That's
1: it. So you have to... You have to bring something to the table. They're not going to just, you know, lick your ass because you're the customer. I mean, unless it's
0: that kind of show, in which case.
1: That exists in the Netherlands also, yes. But, you know, I'm sure sure there's a lot of clarity about how that interaction will go also. So I find that really interesting. So I wonder what the Australians and the Aussies, the Australians and the Aussies, the Kiwis and the Aussies have in terms of, you know, that kind of dynamic in society. I haven't been
0: yeah so uh, I've heard like I haven't out. spent much time in France uh but I've heard that French service is very similar to British, so it might just be like a sort of Western European kind of thing. I wonder if it's like in any way related to the weather like if it's just shit <laughs> and rainy and everyone's pissed off and cold and you know, is, are you less likely to be okay. like, "Hey, how can I help you and make your day better?" I'm fucking frozen. I've been working for fifteen hours.
1: <laughs> could be, could be, but I mean, as I said, as a social scientist by training, I would go with dynamics of power over the weather any yeah. day. But that's just my bias. Sure.
0: I mean, it, it kind of is a bias, I suppose, because if you're a student of sociology, you're thinking not necessarily about what's true but what would make the better essay is that uh, <laughs> accurate
1: um sure let's go right. with that
0: um so we've gone we've gone sort of uh, off the beaten path a little bit um and i wondered if maybe we could talk a little bit about like the future of ux because my understanding of user experience is like when, when someone says ux to me in my mind immediately I'm thinking of screens. I'm thinking of, like, sure. you know, my laptop and, like, what I'm flicking and scrolling down on my phone. And uh, Sure. But in the next, like, five or ten years, that's going to change massively. It's going to be – I mean, there's predictions that screens will actually begin to fade out and everything will be, like, voice-activated and you'll have, like, mm-hmm. a – you know, if it's not, like, an Elon chip in your head, like, you might have, like, a little mm. uh hearing aid-type thing that, that just – says the information to you kind of thing. So sure. where do you see UX going in the next five, 10 years?
1: Sure. I think it's very normal and typical for you to think that way. And I think a lot of us see things um, in terms of maybe five-year increments because, you know, we, we've grown up in a time where technology changes so rapidly. Mm. We spend so much time just trying to keep up with that um i remember i mean after i started my job the ipad came out the apple watch came out google tried to do google glass that didn't go well but now apple is reportedly thinking about it and by the way that was that's a whole other conversation so it's normal for us to think well what have we seen around us we've seen screens and oh my goodness when those go away what are we going to do but i think when we think back to this idea that folks have been around for decades figuring out how people should interact with inanimate objects, mm. man made objects, man made services, mm. things that we just put into society and expect to work, need either an instruction manual or someone really clever, it's just self compliment, <laughs> to figure out yeah. how to make it easy enough that somebody can use it or both. I mean, if you have a nuclear reactor, you probably want to try and have both and cover all your bases. So when someone says, you know, what are UX designers going to do or what's the world of UX going to do when screens go away? It's less of a concern to me because the way that we think about designing experiences is from the perspective of what are you trying to achieve and what do you want Mm. Um, what do you need and then the way that you do it is almost incidental so you could do things in many different ways if you're hungry you can go to a supermarket you can order delivery you can ask your husband to go for you you can look in the back of your cupboard yeah there are just so many options you could go to your garden right so but I suppose that does that moment.
0: work with UX? Cause I sort of feel like, okay, if you gave people a buffet of transport solutions and you said, okay, well look, you could walk to the restaurant, you could catch a taxi to the restaurant or you could fly in this new fucking rocket pack thing. Everyone would go, I want to fly. <laughs> Give me the rocket pack. So if something comes along sure. like super amazing and fun and, you know, it's the sexy new tech on there? Where it is like I don't know, broadcasting the information directly into your brain? Absolutely. Is it like does UX then take on a kind of like oral, uh form where you're thinking, how do I make the requests and the absolutely?
1: Yeah, That's exactly right. it. I mean, any do you, are you an iPhone yeah. user? Cool. Have you tried asking Siri for stuff?
0: Uh, my son has. Yeah.
1: Um, How's that going? Yeah, very
0: like patchy off and
1: on yeah so I, I have this conversation with my homepod mm-hmm. mini the newest cutting edge technology from apple and i asked it to please play nsync's second album and it said sorry jenny i can't find nsync on apple music mm. so then i said the name of the album it said playing celebrity by nsync and i'm like you little twat <laughs> i mean so uh, jotty
0: even now a massive nsync so- fan like <laughs> what you haven't heard of the second album?
1: exactly so somebody has to figure out how everything works yeah. and my dream in life and often I get close to it because I work extremely closely with developers who are brilliant yeah. and wonderful my dream in life is for the people building the tech to have the full capacity time and depth of understanding of all the ways that people can screw it up, get hurt in the process, mm. lose their self-esteem, and make a mess sure. of it. Yeah. But unfortunately, we're not there yet. So somebody has to figure out how, how it's gonna work. And I think there's this kind of, there's a lot of um, stereotypes. We talked about stereotypes of developers. Another stereotype that I hate is people like, developers are antisocial and they don't care about people. They don't care about users, they just wanna mm. code. And they want people to suffer. And it's like, no, developers are people who spend many hours in front of a screen fighting bugs that God knows how they got there, trying to make very complicated things work, constantly having to learn new technologies and keep up with Mm -hmm. things. And when you go that deep into a field, you don't have the luxury to also, I mean, can you imagine as a developer running around interviewing people? And thinking about the big picture and then going in and then going out. I mean, there just wouldn't be time in a day. No. And some people do work like that. And, and I admire those people. But I think at the moment it's beneficial to have folks whose job it is to sit there and think about what's the best way for this thing to interact with a human. And this thing can be a voice-activated bubble that does no know sync second album. I mean, I keep just coming back to NSYNC. I feel like I'm gonna get roasted it's for this, but it's okay. obviously on your mind. I
0: mean, we can talk NSYNC if you want.
1: With lockdown, you just have to go back to the things that make you yeah. happy, and this is what makes happy. This is so- why I'm
0: not judging, like, because my Spotify is all, this is, I don't know why I'm admitting this on a podcast, but it's all like grunge rock stuff that I was listening to in, like, 1995, and there's a, there's a part of me like, I think we're all Like, what does that. this say about me? Have I not developed why am i listening to like teen angst rock stuff what
1: i'm learning today is that you need to work on your self-esteem Adrian. <laughs> yeah and the only reason i'm telling you this is because i go to therapy every week and my therapist told me the same so anyway so i what i'm saying is i think the mechanism that we use to get things done mm-hmm. as long as it's man-made it's going to need someone to figure it out so I'm not worried about if it's a screen or it's not a screen. There's a big conversation about, and and has been for years, about the service end to end. So you interact with a lot of people and things, and a lot of things have to work behind the scenes for something like an app to work. Mm. So designing the screen is not enough. Um, We're talking about ethics a lot in the community, thankfully, Mm. because we're realizing that the things we build have an impact on human lives and the environment and politics. And suddenly we have to make it our problem because we're not back in the day when it was enough to just build a web page and feel cool about yourself. You have to think about the lifetime of that thing and what impact it's going to have and how it's going to be sustainable. And there are mm-hmm. a lot of hard questions. And I think um, the user experience field has um, a lot of, jobs to fulfill and will do for a long time and as I said it evolved from other fields that have existed for a long time so it's not new and I don't think it's gonna disappear but it evolves all the time and maybe we call it something else in five or ten years I don't know.
0: Do you think um, so where screens kind of are retired to I mean my my personal take on it is that people will actually not give up screens as quickly as everyone anticipates.
1: I couldn't agree more.
0: Uh, Because, like, if you look at the advent of video calling, Mm -hmm. everyone assumed that everyone would always, like, as soon as audio was the inferior, then people would go Mm -hmm. to FaceTime the whole time. But as you and I and everyone knows, like, there's, I mean, 95% of the time, you don't actually want people to, yeah. We're
1: basically sending telegrams now. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we're doing.
0: Like I never, ever, maybe I'm broadcasting that I'm a terrible friend, but I never phone my friends. I'm just on chat groups. The only yeah. people I phone is my mum and my dad, like once a week in lockdown yeah. on Skype kind of thing. But, um,
1: but at the same time, you're having a video conversation now because it serves a purpose for you in this moment. And I think this is this is the kind of point that I'm trying to make is that we need to avoid the sensationalism of, oh, a new thing came out. Mm. So we're gonna drop everything and just do that one thing. People are multifaceted and complex and we have a lot of needs. I mean we're like very demanding as a species. We have a lot of things we need to do. Yeah. I mean, look at your daughter. She's found a way to get back into your arms. She didn't need a (laughs) screen for that.
0: No, that's true.
1: She's having a little eyelid, eyelids heavy,
0: arm spaghetti. <laughs> I was hoping she might just kind of nod off in the uh, in the pods there, but no such luck. But
1: she's just so so excited by what Auntie Jenny has to say.
0: Absolutely. Well, you know, earlier when we were just like on the IM thing and uh, you were saying, you know, Are you sure you don't want, because we were talking about my son, you know, me trying to get him to go to sleep. And uh and you were like, Are you sure you don't want like a younger guest to, to join us? And I was like, Well, you know, more on that in a minute. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so now we exactly. do don't
0: we? Yes we do. I was gonna yes we do. I was gonna touch a little bit on um so like if, if we accept that people won't necessarily give up their screens as quickly as, as everyone is hyping, um one of the Are people hoping that? I well I was saying like hyping. Like I feel oh, like Oh
1: hyping. Sorry, yeah. accent
0: barrier. Um but I was thinking like VR is the exception to that almost, isn't it? Because it's like everyone's obsessed with this idea of, you know, oh I'll put down my phone because I can just get the information straight into my ear or whatever. Uh yeah. but people I think VR is is kind of actually taking off finally. Like there was a long time where people were saying, Oh yeah, you know, this company is investing in it and that company and then, you know, Google Glass wasn't really VR, but kind of AR and uh felt very stop and starty but now there's you know there's there's games consoles there's like playstation adapters for it there's the oculus range um yeah so i guess that kind of opens up another whole
1: avenue yeah right it's just uh, another way to to have experiences and my goodness i'm glad that it's reached level of maturity it has before lockdown because a lot of people are enjoying that we have a couple of friends who have a son i think he's maybe four now Mm. he's got his own mini VR headset and it's hilarious because he literally doesn't know where he's going. He's loving it. They have to limit his time. He's there, you know, building things and cleaning things and walking (laughs) into doors and he's not realizing. Yeah. And it's obviously very exciting for him. And I think it gives us ever more so an opportunity to travel across time and travel across realities Um, you know, the phone, the phone lines did that for distance Sure. and then travel and print and all the other technologies we have, I think as a species, what we want to do is either preserve things so we can look back at them later and feel cool yeah, or go into the future somehow. And so it's all about manipulating those, you know, natural conditions that we live in. And I think VR is just part of that.
0: Have you had a chance to mess with VR yourself? Like to do some design on it at all or?
1: um no not not do design on it but i'll tell you i'm shit scared of roller coasters and vr just as much as in real life <laughs> so i'll tell you that for free yeah
0: i've not really like, i mean i've I bought a, a super cheap uh like kind of basically a phone holder you know like one of those things you did like a helmet thing you put your phone in yeah. it and uh i thought it was all right especially for something that only costs like 20 quid yeah um, but I've not played on a like Oculus or anything, and I had the choice out of a PlayStation or an Oculus, and I haven't like done video games for twenty five years or something. But you know, lockdown happened. I thought, well, you know, I'll just get something to pass the time. Um, yeah. But I am, you know, I I ended up going for a PlayStation, but I am super super uh keen to explore VR. Um, probably not from a development perspective, I don't think. It's, but there's there's talk about kind of you know, JavaScript to VR frame, frameworks and stuff, but I sort of feel like if you're going to go into another world, it feels to me
1: JavaScript should not be in it. Yeah, <laughs> no,
0: <laughs> <laughs> probably not. But also, like from a technical standpoint, I mean, my understanding of gaming and game development is that most of it is written in like C plus plus and like heavy logic kind of languages. Whereas JavaScript, as much as it tries to style itself and Morph itself into something new every week. It's fundamentally a web language. Um, I don't know. Doesn't doesn't feel like something that I should be dabbing, like dipping my foot.
1: I mean, I would ask you the same thing that I ask anyone who says I want to learn a new tool or I want to build a new thing. Mm. It's like, what for? What, what what you know? As I told you at the start, I didn't want to learn HTML to learn HTML. I wanted to do it to put pictures of puppies on the internet. To
0: solve a problem, yeah.
1: I don't even know if it was a problem. I was just really excited for it. And I think if you can find something like that that the answer to it is VR, then you'll learn whatever you need to learn to make it happen.
0: Mm. Going back to your um your first exploration of of HTML and your dad's like your dad's attitude of like, well, you know, let's learn it together. So is he still coding?
1: Yeah. Is he? Great. Unfortunately for the universe. No, I'm kidding. No, he's (laughs) he's he is. He does, for a period of time, we actually built websites for for people and got paid. And again, I mean, just leave the standards of the work we did to the side. But (laughs) um, it it was something he took on um, with a lot of enthusiasm. And he kept going when I went to uni. Yeah. And um, I'm really proud of him. He is a person who, I mean, he's an engineer. He's a mechanical engineer by trade. Right. So he's someone who looks at a problem, he analyzes it, he can learn new tools, he doesn't have that mental block of, oh, it's not my thing or I'm not good at it or anything like that. Yeah. He just looks at what's in front of him
2: Mm.
1: and he tries stuff until it works. He's not immune to imposter syndrome or getting annoyed or anything. He just got a Mac for the first time. I convinced him to get a Mac Mini M1. Yeah. So excited. And he's having that thing where he doesn't know how to use a machine when he's so competent with computers. Mm. Um, and he calls me and he's like, I'm so embarrassed, but I don't know how to open a blah, 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 or whatever it is. So he's human. But I admired that attitude of let's figure out what the problem is. yeah, And then we figure out what tool to use. And I think I took a lot from that.
0: That's such a giant thing as well, isn't it? And I, I assume it's it's something that... Uh, matures and, and endures throughout like your journey uh first learning html but then into the ux arena but it's like for me when i was first learning to code uh i felt overwhelmed and dumb yeah. and uh like oh you know i don't know if i should be doing this and uh, and then and then i got to this point where i was like if i could just figure out how to do this then i'll be good and then I would learn that thing. And then I'd be like, "Ah, if I could just figure out this next bit, then I'll, then I'll know how to do web development. And it's really. You
1: kept moving the yardstick further. Yeah.
0: But it's, it's like a sort of, um, but now I train people and and mentor people and it's, you, you actually have to kind of drag them into that headspace where you say like, look, this is not something that you're going to learn. And then you just know how to do it. This is something yes. you're going to have to learn how to learn and accept that you will always yes. be learning this. You're never going to master it. It's just yeah. like, what do I want to do here? Oh, I want to do a dropdown. Or I want to do a search bar. I want to do uh, a gallery or something like that. Well, how yeah. do I do that? Let's Google. Let's have a look. Um,
1: exactly. It's making it's making the problem concrete. Mm. Building a dropdown is a, a surmountable challenge. But becoming the amazing developer and person that i've always wanted to be with the caveats of who learns things magically quickly and never doubts himself yeah. that's that's not a surmountable problem to solve no. that's very unrealistic and i always tell people um that i actually find that the biggest crisis of faith and i call it the value of doom comes not at the very beginning of your journey, Mm. but a little bit in when you build enough knowledge to know what you don't know Mm. and you realize how big the universe of your field is. Yeah. And then so your confidence level compared to your knowledge suddenly has such a big gap. Because in the beginning you're like, yeah, it's fine. I made a page. Yeah. I'll make another. (laughs) And suddenly it's like, boom, here's everything that I don't know. You have to pass that stage. And a lot of people, I think, question themselves and give up then yeah, rather than at the very beginning.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. I think there's a sort of real uh, strength in the ignorance is bliss kind of moment at the beginning where you're like, well, yeah, I'll just do this. You know, the guys at work said I need to learn React. So off I go. I'll, yeah. I'll do React for a bit. And then Fine. somebody's like, yeah. Probably learn. Can you
1: probably learn how to code for iOS too next week? Yeah.
0: problem. Or, or then, yeah. like, well, it was even more basic than that. It was, like, for me, they were like, yeah, can you go away this weekend and then learn, like, CSS media queries? I'd be like, "Sure, yeah, okay, cool. And then I'd come back. Whereas then you get a bit further down the line and you're like, oh, shit, React is just, like, one planet in a solar system yeah. of JavaScript frameworks. <laughs> and, like, what what am I going to do when this planet dies? Like, where the – I'm going to have to start again. Like, there's a real sort of fear there. Um, and at some point I will probably have to address it, but,
1: but, you know, this is, this to me is a great parallel to your question about screens.
2: Mm.
1: I think when we tie our value and our skills to the tools we use or the activities we do or the outputs we produce, that's a really dangerous game to play Mm. because, if you define yourself as someone who codes in React.js or whatever it is, that's what being a developer is to you. Then you're at a grave danger. Mm. But if you're someone who writes code to build stuff on the internet, yeah, then suddenly that's a whole other comfort zone.
0: Yeah. It's sort of the difference between, yes, I'm a React developer. Please hire me. And... uh what is it you're looking to build you want a, you yeah. want a web app okay cool do you want it to be installable on a phone or like what is it for is it for internal like inside the business is it for external have you thought about like it's it's the but there's a confidence that uh, that you only get uh installed in your brain to be able to, like, to be equipped to ask those questions that you you develop after the first like two or three years of doing it i think um,
1: yeah, for sure, because you're just trying to survive in those few first years. Yeah, you're just learning what to Google.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, also like when you're like, I was 35. I think I was about 35 when I was retraining, and uh, I was petrified of fucking it up because so I had a pretty cushy job. I think in PMO, I could have just stayed doing mm-hmm. that. Um, And uh and I thought what if I you know, I'm gonna jump ship into this unknown world? What if I'm a terrible yeah, developer? They might like if Sky go through a rough time because I'd worked in banks in the credit crunch, so I was very familiar with uh what businesses do. Sorry, my headphones Mm. are gonna slide off here. Let me just there we go. Um
1: You're doing great with the one armed multitasking well, zero arm even. Yeah. At this point.
0: Um yeah, so yeah. I'd, I'd worked in banks and I'd seen how businesses operate when they go through a tough time. And, you know, I was the guy that was in a, an HR room asking people to come down and see me at like five minutes past one yeah. for their chat and then 15 minutes past for their chat. And, yeah. Um, so I was just thinking if Sky go through a rough time and, you know, Netflix get bigger, which they did, um they need to fire people, let people go to save money quickly. Who are they going to get rid you, of? Because you're crap. Yeah. yeah, like I'll be the weakest <laughs> thing. I'll be the expensive because I was, you know, a career move guy from you know this level down to junior developer. Yeah. It just, I don't know. It really, it, it worried me, and so it in a in a positive kind of flip of that, it lit a fire under my ass where I was just like, oh, I've got to fucking learn this. I can't fuck this up. Um, yeah. And then there was uh, so my four year old um, was kind of on the way then, and uh, so it was like I'm a dad, I'm about to be a dad. I really need to sort my shit you out. You really
1: have to sort it yeah, out. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um. So yeah, there's a there's an element of that. I want to pre warn you that if you hear a fart or a burp, that is absolutely
1: and you would have done a fantastic job with a bottle. <laughs> yeah,
0: thank you. Yeah. That's
1: what we want, right?
0: Yeah. Are you gonna let some? Are you going to ruin this As podcast? my mom-in-law
1: says, better in, better out than in.
0: Yeah. Oh, she's still going. Okay, that's good. Um.
1: How did you warm up the bottle? I'm real so curious about the mechanisms at play here. There
0: we go. I don't yep, know if you heard that,
1: good.
0: did you? Yep. <laughs> I did. Uh, how did I warm up the bottle? So what you do is, if you're like us and you're incredibly lazy, you buy one of these uh, machines. It's a bit like a coffee machine. <laughs>
1: Is it like the baby Keurig or whatever? It's... Baby Brazza.
0: Again, I don't know the (laughs) the (laughs) brand. And it is new. I have no excuse this time.
1: What you need to know about me is we've been trying for a baby for two years. And I've spent these two years researching everything anyone has ever made for babies. Because I don't have... The energy. I don't have the the need to spend my energy on an actual baby. Sure. I spend it on learning all the terms and the tools. <laughs> right. So that's why I'm like, which of these five bouncers that I saw on YouTube last week is this?
0: It's got stars on it. If that helps narrow it down. I
1: know it's not a baby Bjorn No,
0: <laughs> yeah, I could probably if I if I was really shall I look down for it? I'll, I'll have a look. No, at-
1: it's fine. Well, it's fine. I,
0: I feel like I need. Do, to do now.
1: parents listen to this?
0: Don't I don't so. think so. I don't know. Actually, one, we'll one definitely does because uh, we met her in an NCT uh, group. What's up, Tori, if you're listening?
1: Hi, Tori. Um, Being a parent is not easy right now, huh?
0: Oh, I don't want to really spend the last five, ten minutes of this podcast mining about it. just going down but... that route. But <laughs> I'll just so say odd. that
1: one of my friends who has two kids told me, if I had known that there was a possibility of not having nursery in school, I wouldn't have had kids. <laughs> I was like, okay.
0: Yeah, Well, I'm not quite there yet. <laughs> yeah, but I saw a tweet by, there's a, a political journalisty guy called Alex Andreo. And uh, okay. he was taking the mic out of his friends who were parents. And he was saying like, at the beginning of lockdown, so it's, you know, it's a scary time. Uh, all these nurseries closing, left, right and center. And he put this thing out saying all my friends with kids seem to be really shocked that they're having to spend time with their children um and they're like what i have to spend every day with them like f or like all the hours in." and i was like it kind of pissed me off i was like yeah (laughs) because we've got fucking jobs Because you have
1: other things to do exactly i mean wouldn't it be great to live in a country where at her age you would have had a year off
0: amazing yeah right and, and I
1: just not had to worry about having a job? Of course. I've heard. So maybe, Mr. Who is it again?
0: Alexandreo.
1: So, Mr. Alexandreo, why don't you try feeding a child while doing a podcast and planning your next workday? Well, and then we can
0: talk. Yeah. While, well, well, like, the, the worst is like the boardroom calls. Like when you're trying, mm. like, you're talking to a CEO, head of product, mm-hmm. and you're other like senior front-end developers and you're trying to explain why something isn't going to be on on time or over deadline. And then in the background, you've got your four-year-old going like, Daddy, can you wipe my bum? (laughs) You're just like, oh, Lord.
1: Our our CEO had to speak with a CEO of a large corporation in a very tender moment in our relationship with that company while physically running to his daughter's school to pick her up. Because he was late, yeah, and he managed to have that call with a favorable outcome. Get to the school, yeah. and then his daughter said, "Daddy, you're late, and also where is my snack?"
2: Bear. yeah, and
1: so which is important to her, yeah, absolutely. But you just you just can't win when you're trying to do multiple jobs. Yeah,
0: not a one hundred percent success there on his part.
1: I think he 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 does great. He's a wonderful dad, and. That's the the best that we can do. I mean, no one should be expected to have to juggle 24/7. That's why we have I mean, mm. I don't want to get into politics, but I can imagine what party that chap voted for. We have we have things like nurseries for a reason. Mm. Yeah. It's because we have working parents that I think that's, participate in the economy.
0: <laughs> that's the thing that irks me about it is he's like a super progressive guy. Like normally mm. he's you know, all about remain very labour voty. Um, right. Yeah, it just. Okay, I don't know.
1: We will have bad days, but I think blaming people, individuals mm. in society, for having hardships is a little bit,
0: yeah. a little
1: bit mean during a world pandemic. But yeah. we'll let him let him go with that one.
0: Maybe he was having a tough time.
1: I think a lot of people on Twitter are having a tough time.
0: Yeah, I think so. I've tried to sort of step back from it a little bit recently because, but there's there's times when I read the news and I'm just like, oh, well, this is fucking ridiculous. And then I end up like, it, let's say it's like quarter past seven in the morning. My, my son has woken me up. You know, I'm trying to sort Ruby out with some milk or something. And, yeah. uh, and then I read the news and something just like gets my gut, like really yeah. angers me because I'm just like, yeah. how can this person be so fucking detached? And, mm-hmm. um, and then I'll, like, write, like, a sort of 15 or 20 tweet thread about it. Yeah. And I'll think to myself, yeah, I've really nailed that point. And then I'll post it. And then, like, two days later, I'll see it there and I'll be like, like what the fuck am I doing with my life? Like, how long did that take me?
1: Yeah. We we ran to friends for a reason. I think sometimes you just need to let it out. And, and there's value in that. But I think when you create, like, a anthology of all of your pissed-off moments and you look back... <laughs> it begins to just make you question, you know, Yeah. is this how, is this my best self right now, you know?
0: Yeah. Um, I'd like to sort of develop a similar uh, uh, attitude to it as I do with Facebook now, where like there's, there's about two or three guys on my Facebook who relentlessly troll and comment back and uh, not Uh anything to do with like being Romani and being anti-Brexit. And, but I've actually been pretty good with that. Like over the last, Two or three months, uh, I've got to the point where I'm like, I literally, like, it is just a waste of my time. Or like I call it the post
1: Brexit zen. There is a zen. We've to lost it. Yeah. We just need to move on.
0: <laughs> it's like it's over. That's just, yeah. It's
1: fine. It's fine. It, we don't need to sell cheese to Europe. It's fine. Yeah,
0: it'll be right. I mean, as heartless and as callous as this sounds, there is a little part of me that's a bit like,
1: don't say it. Oh. <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> what did you think I was going to say? We ain't doing this. could this. be juicy. Tell
1: me. I don't know. I read some of your tweets about patriotism today. Oh, right. I was oh, no. Actually,
0: this is way worse. Uh,
1: <laughs> okay. Uh, I,
0: would, like, I was going to say, there is a part of me that's a bit like, yeah, but we work in tech.
1: will be all right. It's, oh, yeah. Okay. I thought you were going to be like, a part of me is like, well, Britain is better no,
2: than no. everyone else. I'm, um, I'm sure. Only,
1: only at vaccines and only if you don't count Israel and Qatar. Right. Is it Qatar? Yeah. I'm so bad. That's
0: like... Pa- is it Bahrain? Patriotism oh, squared. I'm
1: so sorry to anyone from those countries. I
0: feel like um, like may- maybe I um, didn't get my point across, but like my point wasn't like, yeah, let's all get all patriotic. My point is like there's a lot of really nationalistic fucking idiots in this country and the last three or four elections kind of prove that so if it helps Labour get into power by just having a flag behind Keir Starmer every now and then and basically not demonizing people who do wave flags then yeah. maybe that's the, the route they need to go is like be a little bit more yeah. pro-Britain and then get in power and then you have an opportunity to kind of tell them you lied
1: no (laughs) i think as a ux designer my job is to listen to people without judgment i truly have to it doesn't matter what people tell me Mm. even if i design something for two months and i love it and they tell me this is absolute shit i have to tell them how much i agree with them how wonderful they are and how much they're helping me
2: Mm.
1: and while it sounds like a horrible deal it's actually something that really teaches you to really listen and to put your you have to put yourself in the shoes of the other person Mm. otherwise you can't survive because you constantly think you're surrounded by idiots and you can't help them because you judge them Mm. so you have to really think if I were this person and I had the same exact life story that they did and I went through all the same steps in my life would I have a different outcome would I think differently would I take different actions and I think if you think that way a lot of the time you may realize, well, actually, I'm not sure, Mm. or maybe even probably not. And I think when it comes to things like patriotism and nationalism, if we take it down to its bare bones, we know that as humans, our natural instinct is to belong and to be social and to be part of a group and to be validated. I mean, hell, all day we've been talking about imposter syndrome and thinking we're absolute shit. And the way that you overcome that largely is by being accepted and by being praised or validated and feeling like you belong to a prosperous, beautiful group of people that happens to have a flag and, and a song <clears> um, and, a, and a very nice old lady that we pay a lot of money to, then you can. we can all understand that. I mean, it's not ludicrous to want to belong. It's not ludicrous to want to be proud of something that you're part of, mm. I think it's it's the actions that stem from that and the division that can stem from that that bothers all of us. So, yeah, I absolutely don't think we should judge people and, and exclude them and expel them from who we deem to be logical or worthy of our time. That's just my UX view.
0: Sure.
1: Separately, and after a few tequilas, I can tell you <laughs> my personal view.
0: Yeah. Okay, uh, we're going to have to leave it there, Jenny. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I'm going to have to go and change a very pooey nappy. Um,
1: yes, and and what will you do with Ruby after?
0: Uh, she's going straight in her little sleepy and then uh, mm. out like a light, I'm sure. We're super lucky. I was
1: just insinuating it was your pooey nappy. But oh, I didn't I'm sorry, that went straight over cool. my head. I mean, That's fine. I might have
0: a pooey nappy, I don't know. That's, uh...
1: <laughs> That's... Do you know what, sometimes on a video... I have considered getting an adult diaper.
0: (laughs) What if it goes on too long? That's what we'll leave it at. Yeah. 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 I hadn't even considered that. You just
1: need to have a poker face when you do it.
0: I like it. I I mean, let me just say this now that sometimes I'm in here, I'll record a podcast, and if it goes over like an hour and I'm having a a couple of beers or whatever, you know, it does get a bit uncomfortable. And frankly, some sort of adult nappy, you've planted a seed in my head.
1: Yeah. I got it from Grey's Anatomy Um, one of the characters wore diapers to a 16-hour surgery and why not
0: i like it big fan big fan
1: i mean do i have one on now how will you ever know
0: we uh, that's one of the unfortunate restrictions of skype i'm afraid that i will never know (laughs) Uh, all right thank you so much
1: so cheers to empathy and to mystery